So we're back once again. We're doing two days in a row this week because we love it so much. Um, we do. We have a special guest, which I will introduce in a few minutes after we talk about what we're drinking. Because, you know, with Nick and I, that's always an important thing. I mean, so, <laughs> dessert I mean, first, baby. I, I'm, dessert first. <clears throat> I'm going with my tried and true lately. I got a Mackenzie's Apple Crisp right now that I'm enjoying. Oh, it's And then, uh, go ahead, Nick. Mackenzie's, uh, right? Excellent. Good, good cider. So I left, I left us last night and I went yeah. and got food. And uh, it was, right, of course, happy hour. Of course. So I said, oh, you got you got a Mackenzie's on tap? And they go, yeah, it's black cherry. I was like, well, happy hour, half off. You might as well pour me one. So Mackenzie's uh, black cherry hard cider. Oh, oh that's very good, too. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> so. One of my new favorites from Rourke Brewing, the uh, French Toast Devil Dog Oatmeal Stout. Ah, that's such a good beer. And then back to what I had last night, Right Brain CEO Stout. Yeah, Nick, what you got? Uh, I got Throwback Thursday. <laughs> so uh, today in Michigan, it was uh, what? 40 degrees yeah. real close. Um, and so, you know, I figured it's time to finish up my last bottle of Frankenmuth Christmas Town Ale. Um, sad and depressing times. And then I pulled out the, uh, the, the banana bread beer from Eagle Brewing. What did we find out is, about this? Hey, David, actually, he, he hit me up about it. Um, say, and, and found out, because we, we talked about Wells banana bread, right? And I was telling everybody, if you could find it, go ahead. But uh, apparently Eagle Brewing bought wells wells brought bought eagle brewing okay and is doing all of their but stuff yeah, under oh, under eagle, eagle brewing. brewing sure so i mean i don't know you know i, I don't know why I've, I've never really had too many wells stuff and i've never really had too many eagle brew i got banana bread but right. it was funny because i was drinking it i was like i don't know it tastes really close to wells if not the same and now so we know why it's because it exactly is the same so um yeah I, you know, I got in trouble because I didn't bring any home to the wife. So I'm only going to have one of these and bring uh, one home to the wife. So, so we're, we're really excited about tonight. Um, we're, we have on Professor David Seawick, who is one of my oldest and dearest friends. We've known each other since elementary school when we went to Cooper Elementary in, in Cooper, Michigan. Uh, we played baseball together for Little League. His dad was our coach. Uh, we had six Polish people on the team. And All last name with a ski? Well, no, because his is Seawick. Oh. And of course, I'm Levian, and my grandmother was actually Bria. Do we, do we know why all But the Polish other people... ones were skis. Do you know why they were skis? Because they can't spell toboggan. <laughs> I will tell you that David actually schooled, because David is a historian teacher. He actually schooled me at one time on the fact that Polak is a racial slur, because I had no idea. I always referred to myself as Polak. Yeah, I... And I'm more, you, he, he, he schooled me on that. I had a student one time use that term in class, and um, he didn't use it a second time. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, David, thank you so much for joining us. I see yeah. you, got a, uh, you have a mug right there, like all good teachers do. They got the, It's either an engineer holding it, right, or a professor. So uh, what, what do you – oh, Central. Let's say, you know. Um, Absolutely. Go chips or fire up chips. Fire, fire up chips. Yep, that's right. Uh, you know. What, what, how about row the boat, right? Oh, no, wait. oh wait, yeah. Oh right. man, yeah. you had to mention it. So, uh, David, David, what are you drinking? I'm drinking water, City of Lansing water. All right, it's not Flint, just to be clear. Yes. No, 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 no. Okay. We're, we're Lansing. We're different. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, so I, I said this to Nick last night. Uh, David has more degrees than I will ever have in my lifetime. Just run through degrees in schools with us you, if you friend. want you can turn and just point to your wall of degrees <laughs> oh yeah yeah they are there uh, <laughs> so 
Well, let's see, I have a bachelor's degree from Central Michigan University, and that entailed also going to school uh, as part of a study abroad program at an English university, a place called the University of Exeter. Uh, yes, very good beer and cider in England, especially the part of England I was in then, Devon. That's where all the good apples for cider are there we go. Come from. That might be why he stopped drinking. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then I got a master's degree from Central Michigan University, and then also went to the University of Strathclyde, which is in Glasgow in Scotland. And from there, I got a postgraduate diploma, which is kind of like two, it was described to me as two thirds or three quarters of another master's degree. And at that point, I said, okay, I've done the school thing and the work thing at the same time. So let's try the work thing and make some money and bowed out of school and got hired at Lansing Community College. And have been there ever since, almost 15 years now. So, so. that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of schooling. Mm -hmm. All I heard out of that conversation was, "Man, I'm in a lot of debt." <laughs> yes. So. Well, uh, yes and no, actually. So the good thing about graduate school is if you can convince enough people that you're smart, whether or not you actually are, is you know between you and yourself. But if you can convince enough people that you are they'll pay for it, or at least part of it. And that's what happened to me. So that was kind of a good deal. Have you ever heard the term professional student? Yes. Yeah, well, I was kind of one of those for a while, um, but definitely had to finance all of my undergraduate degree, which I did through the U, uh, United States Department of Education, the William D. Ford loan program, which I'm very familiar with. And so, yes, I took on some debt, got other people to pay for some of it and walked away with a lot of education. Good, good, yeah. I say a lot of education. So it sounds like we brought on the right guy to talk about school and debt and apparently how to get a job after going to school for it. I, so I think we absolutely did. You know, Studying abroad, like I, that's the only reason I wanted to go to school was like the opportunity, like I could just fund, like the poor me, right? Thought about that and I was like, oh dude, I could just take debt to go on vacation. <laughs> like if I fail out, who cares? Right. Like I'm on vacation. Well, you know, and I, knowing David and his brother, Daniel, as long as I have, yeah. I, I mean, literally we would sit on a bench in the dugout and we would talk about, you know, who was having a better season, Alan Trammell or Lou Whitaker. I mean, you know, yeah. And like me, they were just, they were pure baseball fans. So, you know, I, I told this story before on, on the podcast, you know, I, every day I listened to Harry Carey. I watched him on TV for three innings. I listened to him for three and I watched him for another three. And then at night I went to bed with Ernie Harwell in my ear. Yeah. And I don't think as a baseball fan, if you grew up in the seventies, it might've been a better time, sure. but you know, for any, anybody that grew up after the eighties, they just don't understand how great baseball was because you had some of the greatest broadcasters ever. Mm -hmm you didn't get to necessarily hear them all the time. I mean, we were lucky. We got to hear Harry and Ernie all the time, but I mean, Vin Scully was a treat because you'd hear him, you know, once a week, maybe. True. And there were just such great announcers and man, we would talk baseball all the time and we would listen to baseball and we would watch baseball. We'd be hitting baseballs in the backyard. There was a whole lot of baseball going on with us. I, he has some pictures from, did you guys go to the last game at Tiger Stadium? One of the last. One of the it last. Was, uh, 
Yeah, September of, of uh, what, 1999. Mm -hmm. And um, went there on a Sunday afternoon. Didn't know when we bought the tickets that they were going to let you on the field before the game um, and take pictures, which is great. So um, we got pictures of standing all, you know, the right field corner, um, you know, center field where the flagpole was, left field. It was just absolutely fantastic. I mean, if you're a Tigers fan, it's like a dream come true. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know if you ever did this, Dave. You can't do it now. Um, but up until about, oh, three years ago, from the time they tore Tiger Stadium down, mm -hmm. you could actually park your car right there on Michigan Avenue mm -hmm. and go onto the field. That yeah. it, You had to know what you were looking for. And, of course, I did. I've been there many times and, and, and quite familiar with Detroit. So I can get around it pretty good. And... Uh, so you, you had to look for where that little stretch of the wrought iron fronts was still there. They never tore it down when they raised the rest of the stadium. And, and it was deceiving because it made you realize when you walked that the, the, the ball diamond was still there. Mm -hmm. And when you walked out there, you realize, my God, this was a small lot because you got I-75 right there would have been behind left field. And then, um, you know, you can see across I-75 there to the, um, the Motor City Casino on the other side of the freeway where it comes off Grand River Avenue. And then you look to behind where right field was and the, the lumber yard, which is actually still there. Uh, and then that little lot that that stadium was sandwiched in, it really kind of put things in an, in a different perspective. But yeah, I did that a few times. And then, uh, you know, from the time they tore the stadium down, which was actually 10 years after they moved out of there, unfortunately it became, you know, one of Detroit's blighted spots, which the city yeah. has no shortage of. And then, what happened was about three years ago, the redevelopment plan with the Detroit Youth Athletic Club, and then um, there's a couple other entities that are involved in it. It's kind of a blend of, of uh, housing, and then they put a multi-use sports field in for kids that live in the neighborhood. So that's pretty cool. That's there right now. And uh, so they made good use of the, of the location, but stadium isn't there anymore. If you're a, a history buff or a baseball fan, there's a great documentary out there. I believe it's called uh, Trying to Save Tiger Stadium or Saving Tiger Stadium. It's, it's a phenomenal documentary. Um, I, I can tell you, my, my first game, I think I told this story to you. The first game I ever went to was a Tigers game. It was in 1987. I watched the Tigers play the Yankees. Eric King pitched against Tommy John. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. The Tigers lost 7 to nothing. Well, you know. It happened. Although they were good in 87. I mean, they weren't really good in 87. That was a great year. Yep. So my first Tiger game I went to, I, my mom tells me, cause I was only like two or three. Oh. And then, and then the first one I remember going to was in 1984, actually. Oh, great. Year. Uh, George uh, Orwell. Ha! Well, no, I know yeah. one book. The world. How does that make you feel? The world I know champion a book. I know a book. It's a good book. It's a very good book. Uh, I never read it. Yeah. I, I, I just, oh, well, yeah, it's a little I, bit different than than uh, a book about baseball. I heard, so. I heard Cliff, or I read yeah, Cliff you, Notes. You just never, to, you never just read any books. I didn't. It's a true story. Like, <laughs> I, I had Cliff Notes, or I'd listen to, like, people talk, and, like, the teacher, yeah. and that's how I, like, I'm, I'm smart enough to, like, get to what I need, but I'm, like, lazy as shit to where yeah. it's, like, I just, I need the basics, right? Like, all I know is it's, like, Everybody talks about it so much. It's Big Brother, and there's like cameras. I couldn't tell you a freaking main character. I couldn't tell you a thing. I know it's a, it's a love story. It's a quick is it really? Story. Yeah. Holy shit! 
Here's the plot. Here's the plot. Winston Smith is banning Julia. Yeah. This isn't going to sound very professorial, so bear with me, right? So he's sleeping with Julia, and Julia is a member of the party, the political party that runs the state, and it's this evil totalitarian regime where everybody's on camera, even when in your in your house, and doing all the other things that folks do attempt to do anyways in private, and it's political commentary about the dangers of political extremes mixed in with a love story, and and when Winston and Julia are in bed, they get caught by the state, Big Brother. Sure. And it's a terrifying moment for them. And uh, eventually, Winston's, Julia disappears. Winston's tortured with rats. Gets kind of ugly. And then at the end of the book, oh, I'm going to give it away. I'll give it away. He, because uh, he told me don't read books. So I don't, I'm not going to read this book. Right. right. So at the end of the He's been completely brainwashed and believing in the state and he's getting drunk off his victory gin and he sees Julia in the victory cafe where they're both smashed off oily victory gin and in love with the state. And it's a depressing end to the book. So that's it. That's 1984 in five sentences. Yep. There you go. You don't need to read it. I didn't. Yeah. I say exactly. You know, I, again, all I had to do was cliff notes and the teacher, the teacher was great. Mr. Lewis. Uh, I mean, he was like 90 when he taught it, but he's like, ah, open notes. And I was, he goes, you have to have notes. You can't just read the book. And I was like, or, you know, he's like, you have to read it. You can't just read out of the book while we're doing it. And so I'm like cliff notes, copy paste. Like I have fucking notes. I didn't really care. Like, and then I think like all I need, my philosophy, right. Isn't to be like lazy, but it was like, I knew, I didn't know I was going to do real estate to be successful. Like I just knew that like all school meant to me was a D right? Like a D met I pass. Yep. Okay. Oh, Hey, everybody's like, Oh, do you want a, a doctor with an A or a doctor with a D? And I'm like, I'm not a fucking doctor. So I don't care. Like yeah. a D means I successfully walk across the stage and I no longer have to do this. Like money was my drive. So, not a, not a grade. <laughs> I, I remember two science teachers we had. I mean, I think we had three because I think Scott Cole taught some science, but we had Scott Rayberg and Tom Rumblewitz. I never had Rayburg. His kid played in the NFL. Hmm. Yeah, and Central Michigan University. Yeah. He, oh. went, to, he went to Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Rumblewitz, and I, I remember having a parent-teacher conference with him, and I, I think I was a sophomore at the time in biology, and he, he looked at my mother and he goes, your son is so smart, but so he lazy. doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And I don't understand how to motivate him. And she looked at me and she goes, what's the problem? I said, I can sit there and get a C. Yep. I'm okay with that. Yep. And unfortunately, that was me through high school until like the last semester. Well, that was me too, actually. Believe yeah, it, was. Yeah. it was. And see, you know, uh, you were motivated by money. I, I discovered when I got to college that I was motivated by something else. And that was, um, I guess this is where the idealistic me came into existence. But I wanted to uh, learn and Eventually, I had to figure out, well, how am I going to make a living doing this? And, and uh, well, find something I like doing and figure out how I can do it for a living, which is what I eventually did. And so from that point on, I looked at education as the way to accomplish two things. Number one, the, the satisfaction of learning as much as I can about everything. And then number two, figuring out how I can translate that into a way to make a living. That's, that's huge. And... Um, and yeah, now, and it, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and it um, the the thing I always had in mind too is, and I know this is different than the way a lot of young people think, having taught them now for many years, is I was able to think long term, 
Mm-hmm. And I'll, that's very, very difficult, very difficult for 18, 19 year olds to do. And, and not just with education, but really anything related to their future and money. Um, and boy, Dave, you and I know lots of kids we went to school with that uh, out of high school, oh, great, I'll go buy a new car or something like that. And, and uh, instant gratification, just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should. I was always able to think long term. And I know that that's a real hard, hard uh, thing for a lot of people to get down path. But that's actually one of the things that motivated me is knowing that the rewards there, it's just going to take a while to get it. Yeah, well, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, every generation kind of overlooks. So, I mean, I know when I was younger, you know, Dave and Dan both came to our wedding. Yep, They're two of the few people that we still talk to that came to our wedding, honestly. And, you know, back then, Dawn and I didn't know what the hell we were doing. So, I mean, we made a lot of financial mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think we're going to get into that on a future episode. You had said that, you know, we need to talk about our yeah. journeys and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I made a lot of financial mistakes. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. I, I knew I liked sports. I knew that, you know, I, I wanted a better life, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, David, but I, I started back to school in 16 because I really like finances. Okay. And I, my initial thought was, you know, I can learn how to invest and that'll help some of the kids I coach because of course they have no money. I mean, you coach with me, you know, yeah, of course. And uh, it, it kind of turned into not necessarily helping the kids I coached, but it helped my daughter because she had a surplus of money that I could invest. Um, it helped, you know, my mom, it helped me. And now, like David said, I mean, I, I'm looking long-term going, okay, I want to retire. I want to get my house paid. I want to, I want to do all of these things. And I'm not thinking so short term as in, Hey, you know, I, I want to buy tickets to four Cubs games this year. It, it's more like, Hey, I, I want to retire by the time I'm 55 or 60. Yeah, for sure. And, and so you like, you don't have game dreams anymore. I mean, right. Right. Like, um, you know, and it's not a disrespect to any of the kids that we coached in any way. Shape, or form. No, but not like, at all. Here's one of the things that like I catch is, is so like Caitlin, right. I mean, Look at the people that she kind of had around her with friends. Yep. And then look at some of our other, like some of our problem kids and kids that wouldn't quote unquote buy into us yep. right, for, for one reason or another. Like now, like financially, like we know that, I mean, one of the girls that we coach, like she's a nurse, right? Like one of them, like, yep. just like these girls are like, they're, you know, so again, when you talk about the circle that you surround yourself with, you watch the successes happen. Um, David, like, are you seeing that with like the college kids that you have? Like, I mean, do you, do you find the, the, the kids that are kids that are like you, right. That are wanting to educate and learn from money. Are you being able to teach them uh, like your, your financial thing? Like, Hey, if you want to get paid to learn, here's how to do it. Like, are you able to teach kids this? Yeah, I am. I mean, for the ones that are, are going to be thinking of going to grad school, I mean, the pay to learn was really only a very brief thing for me though. I mean, it was only what three years of my my educational attainment. And that actually was never a goal of mine. It was always what came afterwards. I actually used to kind of get upset when people would call me a professional student. <laughs> you know, I thought it was like a pejorative term. And I guess it kind of was thrown at me um, in, in such a matter, like grow up, you're 20 yeah. some years old, get out of college and get a job, you know, that, that sort of thing. But 
what I am able to or try to do with, with my students is to help them understand long-term and also to look at education, not necessarily the way I looked at it. It took me a while to figure this out. Um, and that is that the skills are as important as the subjects. So like my job I have right now for Lansing Community College, I teach history, but that's not actually my full-time job there. I was hired to teach history as a part-time faculty member, you know, 15 years ago. But for a long time, I've been a full-time um, employee in the college administration. I actually worked in the office of the college president um, for a number of years. And then now I actually work in our corporate training area. And what I do is I design um, trainings that area businesses contract with us. We train their employees. So to, to make it as simple as possible, let's say that, you know, there's a company that makes uh, mufflers. There is one in Lansing that we do business with. So it's in my mind, right? There's the muffler company and they manufacture mufflers and they've got 10 new employees that need to learn how to do a type of weld so they can put the mufflers together the right way. They call Lansing Community College up and they say, okay, we have 10 people that need to be trained to do this type of MIG welding. And we say, okay, we'll do it. Here's what it's, how, how long it's gonna take. Uh, this is what it's gonna cost. This is where the training's gonna take place, right? So they can't, you know, their employees, they're not concerned with enrolling in college, getting college credits and getting a degree. They have one thing they need to be trained on and that's it. So yeah. we do it, they're out the door. So that's what I do for the college is I put those trainings together. And that also involves having to uh, spend college money, which is always, you know, something you got to be careful with because it's the taxpayer and the tuition payers money. So you got to be very careful with um, how you do it. And uh, that doesn't, those two just don't seem to be like, cause you know, as the guy who, I mean, yeah, we all know I went to some college, but like as the guy who just hates education in the first place, I think it's a fucking waste of life. Um, <laughs> I thought you guys just like blew all this money. I mean, no. tuition keeps going up. You, no. you like, I figure if you need more money, you just cost me more money. Like again, as a tax, what do you care about me? So you're telling oh. me that you actually think about your decisions. Very much. And really, a and a community college is very different than the way a university works. So you you read about a university and you think, my God, you know, MSU charges $580 a credit hour, which they do for undergraduate tuition. Spartium. Um, most of MSU's money comes from the tuition that they get from the students. And then some of it comes from the state of Michigan. That would be you. Yep. A community welcome, children. What's that? that you're welcome, children. Well, Jeez. but they do things like, you know, uh, invent vaccines. So, hey, universities have a, a function in society. Um, I, wait. This is naive me. I mean, I thought Pfizer invented the vaccine. They did, Colleges but you have to actually have... invent vaccines. Uh, well, university researchers are usually the ones that are involved in major medical research. So Pfizer can have people that know how to invent vaccines. So they they have a function. And MSU is actually working on working on uh, nuclear energy. So one of these days we can have cheap power. This episode is going to make me sound so dumb. No, 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 no. Like, I want everybody, like, that's listening, literally, they're just gonna be like, wow, this guy didn't know that, like, there's actually people that, like, do things in college, because I really just, right, like, I think of college as just overgrown high school, where it's like, read a fucking book, get an egg, and then go get a job and doing something that you don't anything about, right? Like, not so, no, not necessarily. On, how many, like, of the percent, David, you're, so you're, in, are... you're in admissions, you're in things. 
So like there are classes like that, but yeah, but there are also very applicable classes that you can take. I mean, we're we just have, talking we about have what a I professor took. here. So <laughs> how many people, what do you, do you guys get the percentage out of LCC? Um, do you get the percentage of people that leave yours and get a job in their actual field? Do you know the number? I don't know the number off the top of my head. I, we okay. keep track of it. I'd have to look it up. Um, our college has really three, I would say for the most part, now there's, you got to be careful when you're trying to group a large number of people, thousands into three categories. But for the most part, if you look at our student body, most people that go, they're going to fall in one of three categories in terms of answering your question. What do they do when they're out of there? Well, a lot of them go to MSU or CMU or Ohio State or the University of Michigan, right? So they're onto the, the university and they're hopefully they get a degree in biomedicine and invent the COVID-19 vaccine. So that's what a third of them do. And some of them, you know, go to MSU and don't, <laughs> but that's human nature. Right. Not everybody's going to be able to figure it out. So that's a third of them. Then a third of them are there for, they don't want a degree and they don't want to transfer. They're there for a variety of reasons. Maybe they want to take two math classes because it'll get them a promotion at work. And they actually want it on a college transcript. Um, maybe they want to go into a, uh, an apprenticeship and they won't get accepted into that apprenticeship until they have so many credit hours in math or science or something like that. That's a third of them. And then the other third are there to get our associate degrees or uh, credited certificate programs like HVAC and auto mechanics and um, CNC lathes and, and mill workers and all that stuff, which is a huge part of actually what our college does. So I work in a facility that has all of those classes. Um, you walk down the hall of the building I work in and part of that building was designed specifically to train the skilled trades workers at the General Motors plant that employs 5,000 people and is like a mile and a half from where we're located. So we have a program where we teach people how to operate a CNC mill lathe and uh everything from programming the the logic control board that tells the machine how to tool itself up to watching it while it spits the tool out and then inspecting it when it's done and then they go work at general motors and gm loves it because they think wow we gave lcc all this money to build this facility and they get to train our employees so when they come to work for us we don't have to exactly it's a good deal they gotta cut down on turnover at that point like now you have like ed i get educated in your yep. field people like this is like that is genius for gm right because like they're they're taking and okay you get the the three smart kids that are like yeah like i need to be paid what i'm worth so then they go to like not gm they go to ram right right chrysler fiat <laughs> i'm just kidding but uh <laughs> say you know so so that's why but that i mentioned that because so that is that's why community college were started in this country actually that's that was our purpose from the beginning and nurses in Lansing, we train uh, probably half of the of the nurses. And there's two huge hospitals in Lansing. Dave, you probably know that. Um, oh, yeah. McLaren oh, well, Hospital and then Sparrow. And, and uh, you know, that's a huge part of the economy in the area. And about half of those nurses came from our nursing school. Well, it's, it's like my, well, and, my wife's an occupational therapist and she went to CC, right? Like, well, um, Grand Rapids Community College. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When they, you look at the community back. colleges, there's one in Detroit that, you know, obviously is yep is training a lot of nurses there's uh lansing 
there's Grand Rapids community and then there's Kalamazoo Valley, which, yeah. you know, I, when you look at, at what they do with those nursing programs, I mean, they're two years, you get your RNs degree and you, you hit the ground running. Yeah. And honestly, uh, by the way, just so everybody that's listening knows, this is going to be a long episode. Um, Nick, you're going to like this. No, I don't like anything you, you say. You're going to like this. People so, need to realize whatever David says, I usually don't like unless it's, hey, I got a free beer for you. I think you're going to like this. <laughs> um, we are going to get into some things you don't like later towards yeah. the end because David listened to our minimum wage episode. But yeah. you're going to like this. So one of the things I admire the most about, about my longtime friend here. Yeah. So as he's starting his career as a professor... He knew that that was not going to pay him to live in the way he needed to live. So David delivered pizzas for how long? For the first year I worked at Lance Community College. Yep, because I got hired to teach just a couple classes and on paper it looked like I was making great money because you're paid by the credit hour. Yep. But in actuality, I mean you're you're not making very good money in and that I've never been one to shy away from doing what it takes to make ends meet. So yeah, I got a job delivering pizzas and, and uh, actually also helped manage the store on the nights I wasn't out uh, delivering pies to hungry folks in Kalamazoo. So he, yeah. He is Side one of those, he is one of those hustlers. I mean, yeah. him and his brother both. If it needs to be done, they're like, hey, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make some extra money doing it. So now real quick on a, on a side question. Yeah. What did your father? What did your father do for a living? My father worked in a small uh, machine shop to, and tool and die factory in Kalamazoo. Yeah, so he was a laborer, right? And like, I, I find that quite often. Like, is like people that their parents are like laborers. I mean, my my dad was like hands on mechanic, yep. like auto auto body type thing. My mom warehousing, like physical. My mom was a right? teacher. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, you're the mix of both. Like, you're willing yeah. to go like your hands dirty and do it, and then you're also like. Hey, I need this education side. Like my, I have an uncle that has a college degree. I have an aunt that got it like, I don't know when she was like 90. Um, <laughs> but like education really isn't in my family. My cousins and stuff like start getting it, but you know, it, it, I think it's like that, that what gets handed down to you type of a thing. And so when I look back on, on, you know, people that impacted me, yep. you know, when I look at my youth sports career, I played soccer for many, many years. I played Little League for many, many years. And I was going to ask about that hat, actually. Man United? Oh, Man United. I have a Manchester he's, he's United a fan. fan. I've been to Old Trafford before, actually. I'm not jealous at all. Like, all right, this conversation <laughs> is done. Let's hang up with this guy. Um, like, oh. Anyways, like I was saying, uh, Tom Sr., David's father. Okay. He, he was my little league coach for two, almost three years. Yep. Um, he was the type that this, this is one of my favorite stories. So, you know, you never smoke in the dugout. I mean, I do. You do not. Nick's I, been an umpire for many, many years. His, his grandfather is one of the best yeah. known umpires in the little league up here. But yeah. So Tom Sr. would smoke a pipe. Oh yeah. 
During during games. During games. Oh uh, yeah, he'd go behind the dugout. dugout. He would go behind the dugout. <laughs> hey, this is in the you know the 1980s and I guess early 90s. And it was whenever sure. and you know that was before the as my dad would say the goddamn smoke police got everywhere. <laughs> he would go your behind the dugout. Like, your father sounds like the guy I want to hang out with. Okay? <laughs> I, I would be. Oh so great. I would be. Yeah. I I love his dad so much. He would go behind the dugout to smoke his pipe because yes. he never wanted to do it around us. Around, mind you, yeah. just like pinery, but you know, yeah. no, no wood dugouts. It was all just just metal. Fence. Yeah, just chain link fence. And Dave's mom sitting in the you know the stands smoking like smoking an a cigarette. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. But Dad's going to be decent around the children and go. Yeah, he didn't smoke around us. He just yeah. five feet behind. Yeah, he'll go walk five feet behind the dugout, and then at least he can say in his mind, "Well, I didn't actually smoke in the dugout." <laughs> oh, say, gosh, one of my favorite people growing up. He was just <laughs> phenomenal. His heart was in the right place. It, we... it always was. So, Absolutely. I say we, we've talked quite a bit. We haven't really hit on the big debt aspect. Yeah, let's that. talk about debt a little let's bit. So we, you know, we want to give our listeners advice. Like, what's the best thing I can do? I mean, you've already said, hey, if you can tell people you're smart, you're going to get scholarships or something. Right. Like, yep. So you're going to have to finance, I, and it, I mean, unless, yeah, unless you come from a family that had a lot more money than mine did. And they can pay for your education. Mine couldn't. So it was, okay, Dave, you're going to figure it out. Here's, again, you got, I think, number one, you absolutely have to think long-term and you have to have a a sort of a serious grown-up conversation with yourself. Am I doing this because it's fun? You know, there are other ways to meet girls and go to the bar. You don't have to go to college to do that. Or. (laughs) He lies. Yeah. You didn't go to college. I did. I did. Yeah, for a year. Two? Okay. So you got to have a good conversation with yourself. Self, am I doing this because it's fun? Yes. Or am I doing it because I want to get something out of it? And they don't have to be mutually exclusive. But if the only reason why you're going to college is because you think it's, you know, a great way to blow off two or three or four years of your life, then it's probably not a good thing to spend money on and to go into debt over. But... If you are able to, to think long-term and understand that I'm going to make sure this pays off, and there's a lot of you know accountability in that, then finance it, but be careful about how you do it. So let me tell you, if I can, a, a couple examples of what I mean by this. Yeah, please do. So there are, there are a variety of ways you could finance your education. You can go to a bank and borrow money, not a good idea. Why not? A reason I'll get into in a minute. Okay. Or you can go to the government and borrow money. A better idea. And here's why. Now, sorry, can I ask you real quick before we get into that? Yeah. So by, by going to the government, so we, you know, we know if you go to the bank, you're going to go to like an actual physical building and try to borrow money. But yeah. if, you, if you go to the government, um, I know when I went to college for my, David says year, year and a half, whatever it was, I went to CC for a year, for half a year in Davenport University for a year. Sure. Um, on a bowling scholarship. Um, but so when I did that, I had to fill out this thing called FAFSA, right? FAFSA, right. The free application oh. for financial student aid or for federal student aid. Yep. Okay. So you, yeah. So now is that, is that government money there technically? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's mostly yes. Okay. So most of the money that you borrow from the government to go to school on is from the federal government. It's through this thing called the William D. Ford student loan program. 
And is that in Michigan only or everywhere? Oh, around the United States. Oh, okay. So Ford yep. is Ford is huge. Well, William, I, yeah, and it's not, I don't think it's the same Ford as the Ford family. It might be, but I don't think it is. I actually think it's named after a congressman from way back when that passed the law to set this up. I could be wrong on that, but. So not Ford Carr, not Gerald R. Ford. I don't think so. Ford. No. Farming Ford. Yep. Different Fords. Jeez, there's too so, many. Yeah, common name. Um, so that's the, the federal student loan program, and there's all kinds of different loans within that program. There's subsidized loans. There's unsubsidized loans. And this is what I mean by better idea to borrow from the government, but be careful. So unsubsidized loans are those that start accruing interest immediately. Um, so I borrow $10,000 to go to school. And from the moment I the promissory note is signed, I'm accumulating interest on that loan. Yeah. And I'm going to have to pay it back with interest. A subsidized loan is called that because the government subsidizes, even though they're loaning you the money. I mean, it's right. It's kind of an accounting trick, but here's the deal with it. They subsidize it, meaning they uh, do not, that doesn't start accumulating interest until you graduate from college. So you get a loan and then you have the duration while you're in school before it starts accumulating interest. The theory being, if you graduate and get a job right away and can start paying it back, you aren't already in deep doo-doo because of all the interest that accrued through the years where you were in college. So nowadays, the interest rates are very low. That's not going to be as big as, of an issue as it was, okay, 25 years ago when I took out my first student loans, the interest rates were historically back then people thought they were low they were higher than they are now but like in the early 1980s late 1970s when interest rates were double digits because inflation was so high it's what the federal reserve did to try to get the um, inflation rate under control is they kept raising interest rates now in that lending environment a subsidized loan is a huge deal because if you've got a 12 or 13 percent interest rate on your loan and, and you're in college for four years right? And you borrowed, say, $10,000 a year. I mean, that's real money that you've already tacked on to all the principal that you borrowed anyways. Now, that gets us back to the bank. The bank doesn't have the sympathy that Uncle Sam has. They're in it to make money. So you go to a bank, they'll loan you money to go to school, but they'll usually require to have a co-signer, sometimes two co-signers. Um, interest rate usually starts accruing immediately, and if you don't pay the bank money back, the same thing happens if you don't pay your mortgage back or your credit cards or your car loan, they get nasty. They want their money back and they're going to get it no matter what. The federal government will eventually get nasty too, but they give you all kinds of, of, of uh, repayment options um, and will work with you literally on the phone can you afford 40 bucks a month yes good that's what we'll set it at for now until you start making more money they'll work with you um a, a private bank i mean they can't they're in the business to take your money and loan it to somebody else and everybody wins because everybody pays the loans back and the bank gets the interest and hey that's how the banking system works right so they're they're less sympathetic so here's hang on here's my question so like my daughter's in school. Yep. And 
myself, I don't fill out fast for, for myself because I know I'm not going to qualify for anything but a loan. But for her, I fill out FAFSA. And she qualifies because she doesn't make a lot of money for a Pell Grant every year. Yeah. And grants are good because they're grants. They aren't loans. Right. They're free money. It's gifted money. Yeah. Yeah. But she also qualifies for a subsidized loan every year. Okay. Okay. And they don't just say, hey, you've qualified for a loan. Would you like it? No, they just give it to you. They just give it to her. And then she she calls me and she's like, hey, dad, um, they say I don't have a bill this term. What is this about? And I'm like, yeah, we'll take care of it. So then I have to go through the rigmarole of emailing financial people and say, no, no loan. We don't want to do this. We're yeah. just going to pay it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, it's weird because that's kind of what happened to me. Um, you know, I got a Pell Grant because yep. I, I single mom and yep. no, no fucking money. Um, and then I was at CC, right. And mm-hmm. I was working a full-time job. I was working like 60 hours a week. Yeah. I, I and then I was like, Hey, um, and they, they gave me, they're like, Oh, you don't owe. And I was like, what do you mean? I, I don't owe. They're like, Oh, you got a loan. And I was like, no, the hell I don't like, here's my cash. You're going to take my damn money. Yeah. I'm going to go close this loan out real quick. Like I'm not, I'm not paying interest. Like I, you know, I, I was it was weird. I was dumb, but like, then I went, I transferred from there. And honestly, I just paid 10,000 bucks at Davenport to go for bowling. Um, I was okay to pay a crap ton of money for, for bowling. That's all it was. Um, and you know, I, I quickly signed in that line and I was like, Oh, I'll just pay it while I'm going to school. And they're like, you don't have to. And I was like, I don't have to do a lot of things in life. <laughs> like I don't have to be here. Um, so that sounds to me like it's a little bit different than it was. Um, when I went to school. Okay. 25 years ago here's what happened when i took out my my student loans i remember it clearly first of all i did my first two years at kalamazoo valley community college and i went i didn't even apply for financial aid i went to the pay window with my money that i'd saved up working at steve young's big top market in plainwell yes yes wait and uh we have a Ludi Young's right here in town in Wyoming. No, we have Steve De Young's here in Wyoming. It used to be owned by Lou D on his dad. Yeah, yeah. And now it's owned by Steve, I think. Steve owns it. So yeah. yeah. Same before, before before Dave gets into this too far, my grandmother, who Dave knows, yeah, to work with Steve at Jewel. Oh yeah, yeah. For many, many years. Yeah. She hated him. <laughs> I, you know, I, I liked his enthusiasm. He was very enthusiastic. Very enthusiastic guy. And actually it's funny because, you know, you look back now all those years later and, and I, I actually think of, I think of that job more than I imagined I would have being in my forties now and professionally employed and making a lot more money than I made back then, obviously. It's kind of that first job. Right. But it was, and, and uh, you know, the, when I worked there, Steve DeYoung was probably about, I doubt he was even as old as I am now. No. Yeah. He was young. Yeah. And uh, kind of just starting out in terms of his eventual ownership of, even though he had owned that store for a while, but yeah. So, so I worked my job and, and was real proud. I walked to the pay window at Calvinsville Community College and I had my cash and I walked it over and boom, I got my little card that said, here's your classes. Here's the balance due zero. And it was great. Now, get to Central Michigan University. I can't afford to pay that out of pocket. I'd have to work, uh, you know, 300 hours a week at Big Top. And that's yeah, not possible. 
So time to borrow money. And when, when I did that, I was taken into a room at the library at Central Michigan University, sat down in front of a little eight inch TV VCR combo and said, watch this video and pay attention. This is gonna tell you what you're about to do. And it was a loan counseling video. And every other sentence in the uh, video was, this is a loan, you will have to pay it back. And then every other sentence so not the one that said, this is a loan, you'll have to pay it back. But then the next set of every other sentences was an explanation of interest mm. <laughs> and what interest means. So when we loan you money, we don't just ask for the money back that we loaned you. We have this thing called interest. And if you never learned about it in high school, you're going to learn about it now. And after watching that for an hour and a half, then the pieces of paper came out. And the pieces of paper said the same thing the video said. This is a loan. You will pay it back. Yeah. This is the interest rates that you can expect to pay. However, do note that interest rates vary. And your subsidized loans will not have an interest rate fixed to them until you graduate from college. It could be considerably higher than what they are right now. And I understood all that. I said, yeah, I, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. This isn't a gift. I'm not going to go take the money and go piss it away at the casino or buy some stupid car. It's given to me for a purpose and I got to pay it back. So they had serious loan counseling there. All kidding aside. And actually, when I graduated from CMU with my bachelor's degree, they did the same thing. This time they sat us down in a big auditorium where your fellow classmates who are about to graduate with their bachelor's degrees were with you. And this time they said, now you're going to pay it back. And here are the terms you can expect. And we'll do all kinds of nasty things. We'll garnish your wages, we'll haul your ass into court. And oh, by the way, if you declare personal bankruptcy, you'll still have to pay them back. So it was made clear, you're gonna pay the money back. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm gonna ask this because you know, when my daughter graduated high school, David came to the open house. And I remember three or four of her former teammates had said to her, man, you're so smart. You're going to GRCC before you go to, you know, a four-year institution because you're going to save so much money. I'm so far in debt because I went to Grand Valley first. Yep. And David just mentioned he went to Kalamazoo Valley for two years and then he transferred to Central. So... Mind you, he's, he's now a professor at Lansing Community College. Is there any downfall to going to a community college first? You know, I would say no. Um, as the, the academic social scientist, I would say, yes, David, but you also have confirmation bias, meaning, yeah, because you did it yourself. So, of course, you'd say that. But, you know, the only thing I could think... Okay, let's say that I had intended from the time I was, you know, 16 years old, I'm going to go to Brown University and get a PhD in, you know, um, medieval sword fighting. And I'm going to be the expert in the world on that. And I want my transcript to look as fancy as possible. And, you know, you are the one in 16,000 people that would actually get a job in that. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe it wouldn't look so good to have Kalamazoo Valley Community College on your college transcript. But for 99% of the rest of the world, 
it doesn't matter at all. In fact, when I went to CMU, they um, accepted all of the credits that I earned at uh, Kalamazoo Valley. And, and in Michigan, it, it's a little bit different in other states, although not that much. But in Michigan, most of the community colleges have agreements with the universities where the credits will be accepted. So, and, and when you go to apply for a job, um, in the rare case that they actually look at your grades on your transcript, and usually they don't, they just wanna know that you got the, the degree if it's even a, a requirement. And obviously for a lot of jobs, it isn't, but you know, the job I have right now, there were more than one degree was required to get it. And so, yeah, they're gonna look. The, the community college isn't even on my university transcript. It's not, I could send the transcripts there and show I went, but it's not on it. It's well, the, it the credits that transferred over and that's it, so. You had, you had said something earlier. So you go to Michigan State and you're paying like $580 a credit hour, mm -hmm. which maybe I'm wrong on that. So. That's about what, what it is, yeah, for an undergraduate. What percentage are you paying at Lansing Community less than that? Oh, a lot less. Our in-district tuition is $111 a credit hour. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, a fifth of that. Yeah, a fifth, that's correct. 20%. So you can get so many, you, I mean, you can basically four classes in for the price it would take you to take one class at, yeah. at Michigan State. Yeah, you can do half your education for a fifth of the cost, basically, is of, of what that same half of your education, if you look at it as a four-year degree, and you could do two years at, say, Lansing Community College, two years at MSU. I mean, yeah, you could look at it as you saved, you know, I mean, you spent 20% of what you would have for the first two years. Yeah. Well, I know when I went to school, you know, we looked at, and again, we graduated a year apart. So I was, I'm class of 95. He's class of 96. Yep. When I, I looked at schools, I'm like, yeah, I got to go to a four-year school or I'm a loser because I'm going to community college. And I got accepted to a couple four-year schools and I decided, yeah, I don't want to go there. And I ended up going to Kalamazoo Valley, which was one of the best mistakes I ever made because I loved my time at Kalamazoo Valley. So did I. And it Dave, was, I did the same thing. I did yeah. the exact same thing. I, I, I said to myself when I graduated from high school, I don't want to go to Western. I don't want to go to MSU. I kind of wanted to go to Central because I was one of the band nerds in yep. high school and we did band camp at Central. So I, I was familiar with it. I liked the campus. But I also said to myself, yeah, I don't know. If I'm, if I'm really ready for that yet, I'm always kind of a, I don't know, a bratty kid, <laughs> yeah, a little bit wild and knew that once you got to university, it was kind of time to take this shit seriously. Yeah. And it is because, well, I mean, you're there for a reason. It's like time to grow up and put your big boy pants on and get something out of this. So you aren't the guy that's 35 years old, has college degrees and thinks, geez, what was all that for? I could have, you know, worked my job for 12 bucks an hour and not wasted all that time and money. And I didn't want to turn into that. So that was, uh, you know, th this will surprise both of you. Um, so my my best friend um, graduated a year before me, mm -hmm. right? Like went to the East Coast for school, um, very like prestigious engineering school. And he bowled, right? So I got He's to go still to, out there, right? He actually just moved to Texas now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Um, but that's the wedding you went to. Yep. Okay. So, so yeah, yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm going with him to some bowling tournaments, right? Because uh, it's college and uh, Cornell. 
the guy, the guy Cardell, goes, oh, really? you should you should join and blah, blah blah and they go we'll get you a guaranteed scholarship and so they go all you have to do is apply so i applied for cornell got accepted into cornell with a scholarship and uh even at the money like i'm doing math back then and i'm sitting here going yeah i, I just i can't do this like yeah. Like all of you, like I leave state, like because I'm so poor at this time, right? Like I'm I'm so poor to where like debt just like Jesus, dude. Like so, I mean, right? Like fifty percent of me was like, oh, dude, if you go here, like it's prestigious, it's whatever. The other fifty percent of me is like, all right, I have to take room and board. I'm broke as shit. Like I have nothing else. Like again, I'm gonna go for bowling. Like what's that gonna get me in life, right? Like it's say nothing. Well, Cornell degree. I mean, hey, there's there's something to be said about that. But I, I absolutely I understand what you're saying. Um, and that's it. You know, we um, we have a a term we use sometimes in academia. It's actually a term I hate, but I'll use it. It's a term they call cultural capital. And what it means is that even if, well, I'll use myself as an example. Okay. So my mom went to college. Obviously, she was a teacher. I mean, you got to go to college to be a teacher. And she ended up having a, a great career in education. She actually retired as the superintendent of a public school district, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's it. That's the top of your game in that field. So good for her. She and to live with the, the snow people. Yes, that's right. Way up north. So way up north. Right. And my dad worked in a factory and and. Uh, you know, it's a good job to have for, for that. And I didn't have the cultural capital that somebody that would go to Cornell would have. So I would have been a complete fish out of water there and knew that, knew that when I was 18, I actually didn't even know that I had the cultural, I didn't, okay. I didn't use the term back then. 18 year olds. Some talk about cultural capital. This one didn't, but I didn't have it. And I knew when I was 18 that I didn't have something that other kids that went to places like that had. Now, later on in life, I eventually did end up going to some places like that and figured it out. You know, people can figure anything out if they're of average intelligence and given the opportunity to do it. So, but, you know, you have to learn all this stuff and then eventually it starts to sink in. But I you know, these old school Ivy League universities like Cornell, I mean, they were set up in an era that is long past, but yet still function in that era and, and try to do two things. They still try to be the old, the epitome of an elitist institution that, you know, the, the multi-generations back wealthy families send their kids to because that's where dad went and grandpa went and and in the America of 130 years ago, even if Johnny slept through every class in Cornell and was given quote unquote gentleman C's and walked out of there with the ability to get a BAC of three point, you know, point three five and not much else, um, he was going to get a job because his dad was Mr. So-and-so and he had a Cornell degree. Yep. So the universities like those still operate to some extent off that mindset. But then on the other hand, they try to be uh, a university that says anyways, they're going to reach out to the average ordinary Jane and Joe and offer an education at Cornell to the plebeians. 
I don't know that it necessarily works, but that's the mindset now that they operate off of. That's a whole different world, though, than the type of, uh, you know, education you would get at a, at a public university or a community college and, and on purpose. I'm, I'm okay with sleeping and getting a C. Like, I, yeah. so like, because like, honestly, so I'm at the point right now, am I, so I did go to college and I, I, I honestly, it sucks because I, I thought CC was literally just glorified high school. I mean, there was fights in the courtyard. Grandpa's community college was just, it, it was so trash. It, it just, right, like it was high school kids, like ghetto, just grown. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, like the, the cops were patrolling the damn courtyards. It just, it was so horrible. I went to Davenport and like my life, like, open. I was like, wow, like people like they want to be here. Right. Like it's, it's not like you're forced into things and there's no drug selling right in the courtyard. Um, I think Rapids is just tough. I, I, I think part of that is where the school is located too. I mean, here Grand Rapids community college is right downtown. Yeah. It's also the history too of Grand yeah. so Lansing community college is right downtown in Lansing actually. Too um very different than what you're describing at Jerison's not at all like that actually it's much more like a a university campus but um but Grand Rapids Community College its history is um it really was started way before community colleges were even around actually Grand Rapids Community College goes back to the early 1900s and it was started as what you would call a glorified high school. Mm After the Second World War, when the community colleges came into existence, the college was reformed into a community college, which is where it gets its name. Sure. But I think because of that background of being like an urban second high school, that's basically what it was started as. Maybe it still has some of that legacy. I have a, a, a friend from grad school that uh, teaches history there. And I went to a conference at GRCC about... Dave, it was the last time I saw you. Yeah, I have a picture of us from then. That's what brought me there was I was at a conference at Grand Rapids Community College on the way back home. I said, hey, I need to stop by. Stop in Byron Center. There you go. So, yeah, so I, I that was the last time I was there. And, you know, it was summertime, so I, I didn't notice anybody um, taking advantage of the last, uh, the glory days of selling weed before it became legal, you know. And um, But I don't know, maybe it, maybe it still goes on there. Well, and I know that with Kalamazoo Valley, it really is not in Kalamazoo. Sure. I mean, it's out on 9th Street and I, I want to say Old Avenue. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, out uh, by Texas Corners. Yep. yep. So it's way out of Kalamazoo. I mean, it's nowhere really near Kalamazoo. And put there on purpose for that. Correct. Yeah, they, the so, idea was to be out in the birds and... It, it it does it going there did feel like a glorified high school but at the same time you knew that you weren't anywhere near a city sure really and i i don't know i i know the education i was getting there you know the first semester i took i didn't care because i'm like yeah it's like high school and i got you know a c plus average and i'm like hell i just paid money for that and then the next semester there I, I was on the president's list because I'm like if I'm paying money I'm gonna get good grades yeah and, and that that money motivating factor it's actually important you know I um and I guess it kind of gets back to our you know thinking about debt so I mean I'm I'm a historian I I have to do finances for my job at the college as an administrator there and 
you know, keep track of money. So, but I'm certainly not an expert on finances and wouldn't claim to be, but yet at the same time, I, I can look at how I finance my education and, I, and then I think about what am I going to get out of it? Mm. And that's how I always look at things. And, and is, is this value that it's worth taking debt on? I mean, I think it was, and, and I, it would be hard to argue against it. I, my job I have right now, my salary in one year is twice the maximum debt I took on for all of my education. Okay, so it's kind of hard to argue that- Twice the maximum debt you took on. Yeah, right. So if you add all the money I borrowed to go to school, um, my salary right now is is twice that. So, okay, it paid off, right? I mean, it'd be hard to argue that it didn't. Well, that's huge. I mean, like- Yeah, And, and again, it wasn't always that way. Dave, you're right. The first year I worked at the college, I delivered pizzas because I didn't make anywhere near the kind of money I do now. But you know what? I worked there long enough. I said, there's an opportunity here that even a full-time faculty position doesn't open up. There's other things I can do that will be good for the college and I'll find interest in the work. It'll be meaningful to me. And, and I did. And the other thing is too, thinking long-term, and I, I went to a conference that we held at Lansing Community College. Um, it was about student debt actually, about like five years ago. And we had one of the trustees of Michigan State University. So the trustees are the folks that you know are elected and, and run the college yep. in addition to like the president and the provost and all that. And one of the trustees at MSU at the time, he, um, he owns about half the property in Lansing. Very, very well-known businessman around here. Very well-known. And he said, um, you know, I talk to the undergraduates at MSU, the freshmen, when they come in, and I always tell them, you got to think long-term. You got to think long-term. That's a hard lesson to teach 18-year-olds, and he's right. And, you know, if we're talking about debt and education, again, my example is it'd be pretty hard to argue, I think, that it wasn't an investment worth making. But I am always baffled by not that people complain about the cost of education because it is astronomically high, but that they will complain about that, but then you will see them have no problem financing a $58,000 pickup truck that's going to be a worthless piece of shit in 10 years. Right. And they think, wow, I'll go out $800 a month getting one of those. No problem. But pay, pay my kids tuition to go to school. No way. That's highway robbery. And and again, they're mutually exclusive. College tuition is to the point where a lot of people can't afford to go there anymore. And that's a problem. And I'll be the first to raise my hand and say that. But at the same time, why do people have no problem going in debt over silly consumer goods that they don't need or way overpriced will never retain the value that they're going into debt over, but yet something that can pay off long-term, they balk at it. So I'm sure you have not listened to last night's episode yet. I did listen to the first half of it and then I got called back to work. Did you hear about this truck story? I started to, and that's about when I had to stop listening because my paying job, that darn thing that pays that salary. I had to get back to it. So that in. Wow. that's me and, and David, mind you, three years ago. Oh, wow. Look at look at the hair. All right. Dave. Ah, wow, see, David. That's wow. why Dave was shocked. Yeah, see, that's why Dave was shocked when he saw this. <laughs> like, it, David, you're, you're, you're in your 40s. 
Yeah. He finally decided to become a man. <laughs> I'm sorry I learned a little early, but uh, I love it. I those, love it. This, those listening, I just pointed to my beard and uh, <laughs> caressed it a little bit. And uh, <laughs> David and David both have beards. So, um, right. I say, welcome to the manhood. So, <laughs> so just to let you know, David, so yeah. tell him the story last night. And okay. I'm sure you'll listen to the rest of the episode, but basically, this truck loan was for seven over seven hundred dollars a month oh. for seven years. Oh, why would you do that? I, why I can't answer that? that question because the thing is, is okay if you've got Bill Gates' money and you go out and pay cash for the thing. Okay, fifty-eight thousand dollars when you have net worth in the billions. That's like me dropping a dime in the street. Who cares? Right. But on, you know, the rest of the world's salary, my house that you're looking at right now, it's in the north side of Lansing, right in the city. And one of the reasons why I bought this house is because it's a nice house that didn't cost what it would have if I bought it even in East Lansing. So when we're talking about spending 58, 60, $70,000 on a truck, I look at my house and think, uh, yeah, yeah, that would like pay off the house. Right. <laughs> and you're going to buy a car for that kind of money? What am I missing? Well, you know, I think it's very hard for me because like, I mean, my first house was like literally 58.5, yeah. right? So, I mean, I could never purchase a house or a car that costs as much as one of my houses. No. Um, yeah. I do have a couple that are lower than that now type of a thing. But like, I say just, I don't know. It, it's, I'm not that kind of guy to go out and realize that hey if i put this money away like i'll have sixty thousand bucks in seven years type thing like you know um you know and like my max for a car is 20 grand see that's i think it's weird because i think my max is 15 like that's hard yeah. to say like yeah. well, i think the max is really 12 like if i had to put no. like a number to it like 12 that's how i am well, and i've always paid cash for my cars i've never financed a car i financed one one time because i honestly I got one point like three percent, and to me, like I, my money was in, like I had fifteen thousand sitting in yep. Lake Michigan, and I'm making three percent, and it was like I was still making money on my money. So it was like I started doing math, and I'm like, okay, so instead of making thirty, I make twenty, but like I'm making twenty. Like I could get rid of it and not make anything, or I could make twenty bucks. Like at this point, it just makes sense to make twenty bucks, man. Like I, you know, and yeah. And like everything after 15,000, you don't make money on. So like when you're doing it, it's like, cool. If I'm putting away 200 bucks, let's say every month, like to, to get to my 15, now I'm not making anything above that. So really it was the only time I financed a car because like, we're like, all right, Hey, here's 200 bucks. I actually made 20 bucks on it. Here's 200 bucks. I made 20 bucks. Like, so financially education wise, like that's why 12 grand, like, cause like, if I'm financing it at that, like one point something, like it was like 200, 200, it's not much, bucks, yeah. 200 bucks a month or something. Yeah. I'm making, you're letting me make money. Like really. And I mean, now I have a little bit more than that. So it's like, would I pay cash? <clears throat> I don't know. If they offer me a 1% or one point like 5% loan again, type thing, I would probably take the loan yeah. still, still even to the, because we talked about it on the car buying episode where it was like, the only time I think I would tell anybody to buy something is like 0% because it's yeah. like, all right, if you got the cash that you can back it up and you're getting 0% loan and you're just going to go buy it anyway, like we talk about Bill Gates or 
even even the kid that we're going to have on eventually, yeah. the 19-year-old, dude, if you're staying at home and you're completely comfortable and you have 40K that you've saved up and you have money above that for the, oh, crap happens, like, dude, cover your cover your gaps, do everything. I'm probably going to let you get a 0% loan and yeah. just make your payments on it because it's free money. A 0% loan, is, is that's a different scenario, especially because, uh, I mean, 0% inflation is going to mean that well, you're actually paying less as oh, yeah. on theoretically. If your if your wage keeps up, your savings keeps up with the rate of inflation, then that loan yeah. actually kind of becomes less money, as in terms of what it costs you out of your pocket. But I, you know, that curiously enough, financing my education is one of the things that really taught me by necessity mm-hmm. financial sure. responsibility because for a lot of years that was the debt I had. And it was like, ah, I could take out any more debt. I already got plenty. So I'm not going to borrow money to buy cars. Uh, you know, people get in trouble with credit cards, stuff like that. I learned the hard way, but I did. And it's like, yeah, eventually you understand what, what uh, you know, what debt is and when it's to be avoided. Well, and, you know, thinking back 30 years ago, when I was one, fuck off. <laughs> thinking back 30 years ago when dave and dan and i were sitting on a bench you know playing little league yep playing, playing little league yeah. talking about who was having a better season alan trammell or prince fielder did you ever think we'd be sitting here 30 years later talking about the smart moves of finance no that's what happens when you turn into a boring old guy you know last night i was teaching my michigan history class and i got all excited showing my students this little video of uh guys building a barn out of uh hand hewn shakes like they did in the 1830s <laughs> i'm getting all excited so i say oh look at the axe that guy's using look at how he's putting this together and and isn't it neat when he talks about the family that built the original barn didn't have nails so they had to improvise and tie the shakes down with logs they rolled over it with vines that they used to make rope and i'm getting all excited about it and the students you know it's in a conference call like this because we can't have face-to-face classes right now but i can see their faces on the other end going yeah that's interesting so you know what dave yeah so when you get old you get boring and it's not boring anymore <laughs> I, i'm i'm never bored by any of our conversations oh no i mean no. i love talking money i love sure. i love talking baseball I, I i'm gonna say this right now so Spring training's going on. I think I think at some point in the next few weeks we're gonna go. That would be awesome. <sighs> I, can't, I can't. All three of us are like, yes. I'd love to. I've been. I would to, love to, but I can't leave right now. I got a, a booming business right now. I've been down there twice for spring training and was gonna go last year actually, but couldn't. And uh, oh well, we'll be back to normal one day. <laughs> I think we should do a, a spring training episode at some point here. Just talking about baseball i'd love to if you want to have a guest on <laughs> said david i i, I think honestly it's going to be me and you and david's going to join us and dan's going to get on and he might send a message to tom and tom will get it so <laughs> tom i believe pitched against Derek jeter didn't he, he did i went to the game my, so our dave's talked about me and my twin brother dan we have an older brother tom so dave was between 
between us in school. Yeah, so Tom graduated '94. I graduated '95. The twins right. graduated '94. Yeah, so we're all Cooper Elementary, Plano High School baseball kids. Yeah. And, and 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 mind you, Tom is probably the best baseball player I ever saw. Oh yeah, he was good. And and so he pitched against Derek Jeter because when we were in high school, is when Jeter was at Kalamazoo Central High School. Yes. Where he we went. Sure. And uh, I went to the game. I'll tell you right now, it was. Okay, I used to like going to watch games at Kalamazoo Central when my brother, you know, playing well played them because they had a real nice stadium. Yeah, they did. I mean, for a high school ball diamond, it was like, wow, this is nice. They actually like mow the grass and the infield's level. I mean, it's like, you know, pretty good for high school. So Derek Jeter was there and everybody by then knew that this, you know, this kid is something else. You got to see him. So, okay, you don't see too many high school baseball games where there's like, 20 scouts there there was at that one so that was an immediate thing that you noticed but so tom pitched against him and jeter gets up and just hits an absolute scorcher line drive that took it about two and a half seconds to get out to center field right up against the fence and just when you saw it you know a 17 year old hit the ball like that 17 year old kids don't hit baseballs like that and i mean and then he had a cannon for an arm too i mean you know, throwing guys out an infield ground ball, just again, you knew he just looked different than all the other kids on the field. And sure enough, you know, three years later, he's playing for the New York Yankees. So it's uh, pretty impressive. Look at him now. Yeah, look at him now. He, he was a man amongst boys. I enjoy all the way. I, you know, I don't like Derek Jeter. No, I do. I respect him. I think he did a great thing for baseball. Um, I'm just not a Yankees fan because I'm a Tigers fan. Yeah, I'm not. Well, I'm, I'm the same way. But, I'm the same way. I, I, I always root for Derek Jeter, but yep. hope the team would lose because I hate the Yankees. Yeah, no, agreed. So, and that, you know, I, I, I enjoy people. It's so, you know, it's bad because, like, we, you know, we talk, like, so, you know, Woodson, right? The ghost plays for uh, um, Oakland and nobody likes yeah, Oakland. No, no. <laughs> you know, you, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, you get the guys that – so, I think you had some central – I know Western had a couple guys over in Green Bay, and it's just like you get all these things, and you're just like, man, now what do I do? Because, like – yeah, you got to do something, but I really hate your team. <laughs> I know when uh, Jennings played for yep. yeah, Greg, yeah, you know, and all Kane aside, okay, I went to CMU, and I'm supposed to hate Western, but I don't because I grew up going to Western football games and right. actually like Western a lot, except when they play Central, but it's only one day of the year, so who cares? Oh and, man, I got right? a, a buddy who him him and him and my uncle both went to, they to Western. They graduated from Western, right? And when Western plays Michigan he roots for Michigan. Like you spent like $900,000 going to Western. You root for Michigan, dude. No like, way. Absolutely not. No, I could never do that. Never. So, yeah. um, you know, all right. So we, we've talked pretty much about debt. We've talked about financing. We've talked a few things. So David told me that you have a couple things that you feel like you have to tell me about a damn episode we watched because you want to but, get your but before no, we get there you want to get your opinion out but before we get there I'm going to say this I think we're going to have to have Dave on again for another episode not the baseball one but another episode about this debt because this has been honestly a great college talk yeah and we're running long but I think we need to have part two of that yeah that's fine and, and in addition we're going to have to have the baseball one at some point but yeah. yes David sent me a a message about minimum wage i'll be quick so basically i well i, I made two comments yep. first of all it was a great episode I was thoroughly interested in it but thank you the two comments i have is the one about women in the workplace yep so women 
have worked as long as there's been industrial labor. I mean, the very first factory workers were women. They weren't men, actually, um, especially in the United States. The very first factory workers in the United States were uh, girls and young women who worked in the cotton mills out in Massachusetts before the Civil War. But even after that, women worked because wages were so low they had to. Mm -hmm. So we're talking late 1800s, early 1900s. What usually happened was um, women and men both, when they got to be, well, when they were still kids, they would start working. And then when child labor was outlawed because those rotten bastards had to ruin all the fun for the factory owners. Congrats, then, you sound like your dad. <laughs> then they had to wait till they were 16 or 15 to go to work. And they did. And then women worked. The same jobs oftentimes men did, but they made a third of the salary. A good deal for the company, not such a good deal for the woman. Then what would happen is once they started having families, then they were they left the workplace. They didn't really have a choice. And then after the kids got old enough, they went back to work and worked until they died, just like men did because people didn't retire until the 1930s. So we used to call that the industrial work cycle. So after World War II, um, you started to have uh, more of a, of a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Right. Public face of women in the workplace. At the same time, you also had women like my grandmother, who, unlike what would have been the case with maybe her mother um, in the generation before World War II, when my grandmother became a mom and started having kids like my dad, she continued working. And she actually had a job in a meatpacking place of all places, uh, not a very typical situation you might think, but that's actually very typical. worked with more women um, that were in the same situation she was up until the point where she uh, suffered pretty bad disability uh, when she was in her fifties and couldn't really work anymore. And I remember my grandmother telling me once um, kind of towards the end of her life, she says, yeah, you know, I worked at first after your grandfather and I got married because I had to. And after he got his job at such and such place, it was a pretty good paying job. And uh, she said, I still work because I like to have nice things. So that got me thinking about one of the things that you brought up about women um, being part of a, of a growing consumer culture. And that was part of what motivated them to continue working. But then what happens is, and this is one of the things I texted Dave about, in the, around about 1980, wages adjusted to inflation start stagnating in the United States, including the minimum wage. So right now, I, I'm i going to sound like I'm out of touch with reality, but I don't know what the federal minimum wage is. I think it's about $7.90 an hour, I think. $7.25 an hour. $7.25 an hour, okay. So that's $3 more an hour than it was when I made minimum wage 25, 30 years ago. But, Me too. Um, Anyways, and then Michigan minimum wage is what, nine something an hour, I think. 925, 950? Uh, nine something. Nine something. So when the minimum wage was established in the United States, it was at a rate that adjusted to inflation now would equate to about $10 to $11 an hour. And it stayed that way until about 1980. And then starting about 1980, it wasn't because um, it takes an act of Congress to change it it wasn't changed very much and it, and it started to fall behind for in, inflation. And of course, inflation in the early eighties was still quite high. Sure. Um, not as bad as it was in the seventies, but it was still high, much higher than it is now. And uh, so it fell behind. So now the minimum wage is still about, you know, three or federal minimum wage, about three or $4 an hour behind of what it was adjusted to inflation historically when it started. 
So food for thought. So you want to be at $10 an hour? No, I don't want to make $10 an hour. Well, I'm just saying like, that's what you want minimum wage to be. So you're three, we're $3 behind what it, what it should be based off of the old, cause we're at seven twenty-five. So $3 an hour. So we're at 10 25, it, it, which, and, and I think we, I, I said, here, you know, it we should have been $10 an hour in 1990, you know, say, so here, real quick things I got out of the, out of that real quick. Number one, uh, my grandparents who I <laughs> call my parents, right. We talked about yeah, oh, yeah. Love know, Archie, Archie, right. Like uh, I saw, I umpired with him. Yeah. We, we were, we were a team, right? Like yeah. it was Archie and Nick all the time and yeah. uh, Nick behind Nick behind home. And then, uh, so grandpa would take the first game and I take like next three right behind yeah. home play. Um, because I got to work my ass up. <laughs> That's what I got to do. So, but that being said, like my grandparents, right? My grandparents actually met each other at a, a meat counter, right? So um, my, so the story is they met, they meet on a Friday. Uh, they go out on a date on Friday. By Sunday, they had a ring. Within two weeks, they were married yeah. and they married 58 years. Wow. That's uh, so cool. And my grandma passed, uh, <clears throat> gosh, years it's here? been two years now. Wow. wow. Holy crap. Um what a story. Yeah. So, so it's really, it's when you say the meat thing, like it brings back, yeah. I'm like, man, this is, this is a normal thing. And it's funny. Cause you know, mm-hmm. your, your grandma has passed and I'm sorry to hear that, but like, you know, I, I love hearing my grandpa tell me chicken wings. We used to throw those some bitches away. Cause they were, nobody wanted chicken wings. Ah. Now these damn things are a dollar a piece. Well, my grandmother actually worked in Kalamazoo at the Eckridge, you know, Eckridge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At one time they had a big plant there. Yep. And uh, so even growing up, because my dad grew up eating sandwiches made out of various Eckerd's lunch meats that was always in the fridge. <laughs> so it it uh, it passed down the generations. And I still don't go into the store and look at a Thena Eckerd's Polar Sausages without thinking of my grandma. Now, she passed away. Gosh, it's been 15 years ago now, um, quite some time ago. But, yeah, she'd be um, about 100 if she was still alive. So, sure. so. Yeah. You know, and, and then we go to the, we go back to the point of, right. So inflation is a thing, but you had said, Hey, like she kept working. She kept working because she wanted nice things. Right. And yeah. now that the problem and the problem is, is, so she was one of few is how I look at it. Right. She was one of few that wanted nice things. Like now that people didn't want nice things, it was that, you know, it, the amount of people that wanted nice things wasn't the same, right? Like, well, I think in the fifties, maybe that was to some extent the case because wages were high enough and the economy was growing, so it could support it. Well, it, right? it, we were a manufacturing economy, and there's a lot more value added onto goods in a manufacturing economy, so companies can pay workers a lot of money and still make a lot of money. And oh, when yeah. you're a service economy, it's different. But, so, but I think by the time you get to the early eighties, now a lot of the the you know two income households are more out of necessity by then because wages have stagnated inflation in the 70s i mean that really chewed into a lot of people's uh standard of living i mean my mom and dad would tell me about buying their house in the mid 70s at 15 percent yeah and and or a little bit lower than that and thinking they got a great interest rate because it wasn't 15 percent sure and then you know so you're buying a house back then for 25 grand when five years before you would have paid 18 or 19 grand for it. So the cost of the house is going up exponentially. And then on top of that, you've yeah. got a loan that nowadays would be like a credit card rate, not quite, but close. Right. And yeah, I mean, that absolutely cuts into people's 
uh, cost of living big time and, and wages can't keep up and that's what happens. So by, by the time you get to the early 80s, you've got now a lot of two family or two income families because of necessity. Yeah. Well, you know, and then the other, the other point that you'd brought up was, you know, um, women made one third the price of what men did. Right. And I'm, I, I think everybody, you know, if you do a job, you should make the same price as the next person. I think everything should be based off of like what you give, what you, you know, like mm-hmm. um, we talked about it yesterday on the episode. We don't think anybody's going to listen to this of what David's employees are. Um, but he gave a, he gave a raise because a girl's working her ass off. Right? Her like, ass off. And so it's like, I am like a merit kind of a person. Like, dude, if you're like my contractors, like I have a contractor who, yeah, I'll, I'll give him. And I tell him ahead of time, like, Hey, give me a, give me a price. Give me a deadline. Okay. Hey, I can get this done in two months, you know, or so eight weeks. Okay, man. Tell you what, if you get it done in eight weeks or less, I'm going to give you a $300 bonus. If you get it done after eight weeks, it's going to cost you 10 bucks a day. Right. Like, and I, I play that game. Like, so I think that's how things should be based because I mean, but it has to be up to my quality. Right. Cause I always set that standard. Like I don't want you to, I'm dealing with right now where a closet, like it's, I didn't notice it. Right. I walk into the closet. It's beautiful. It's painted. It's whatever. And then like, I turned to like leave the walk-in closet. I'm like, Oh shit. Like this whole thing is not painted. Like he forgot the side you wouldn't notice. Um, you know, but I, I think that companies were used to just paying, Hey, like a little extra, right. And like, you didn't see people going out and financing, for 50 years back that like banks are banks are at fault i hate banks right like i just do in general okay so minimum wage and and whatever but like it comes down to the bank aspect because all right we have we have all these big u.s funded banks or you know government backed let's call it like u.s Mm -hmm. but government backed banks and um your dumbass gave loans to everybody and their brother and then they foreclosed and now you want to bail out from the government, which AKA means my tax freaking money. Nope. So all these houses that I'm buying cheap, I also pay taxes on the damn thing to bail your ass out from the first person. And then like, you're now allowing people to, so you take this, you foreclose on a million people, right? Like, I don't even know. The number might be more than that in 08, like 09. Like so many people got foreclosed. You got bailed out. Like the government's like, ah, we'll just wipe your debt away. Like whatever. You made some money. And then you're going to sit here and go, oh, you know what, David? We're really sorry we took your house, but we're going to give you a seven-year loan on a car instead of a three to five-year loan. Like, Jesus. Like, hey, we're going to make it so you can still have that new thing. Here's something to think about that's really going to piss you off. Everything pisses me off. I'm an angry human. Both are true. And maybe, maybe this will be our, our, my parting shot for the day. <laughs> so, true story. One of the biggest purchasers of um, foreclosed houses in the entire United States, I mean, literally a portfolio of thousands of them, is the Texas State Teachers Pension Fund. Here's why. Because that fund was invested in not quite the extent of what Bernie Madoff was up to, but let's just say kind of getting there. And I actually think they lost a bunch of money in Enron too, even before that. So when the fund went bankrupt, the Texas state legislature hired um, some investment folks out of the private sector and said, grow this sucker. 
make it money again because we don't want to have to expend any more tax dollars to pay teachers retirement. So, hey, uh, Texas is hit with the foreclosure crisis as much as any uh, state in the union. What the Texas State Teachers Pension Fund did basically is they uh, bought or created a couple companies that became huge um, rental property portfolio owners in neighborhoods in every city in the United States. I wouldn't even be surprised if uh, my neighborhood here in Lansing has one. So something to think about. The Michigan pension system, uh-uh, it's not like that. It's totally different the way it can be managed. And and that's a good thing because people like me have paid into it for a lot of years. I think I think what I heard him say was any kid that's still listening or watching this, go tell your go tell your teacher in Texas to go fuck themselves. No. <laughs> well, no. The, I would say tell the people that took your teacher's money 20 years ago and put it in Enron stock to go fuck themselves, maybe. This would be his parting shot, but it's but, not. I still have two questions. What, so, one more thing real quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Nowadays, <clears throat> the... Uh, automakers, of course, a lot of the cars they sell, they're actually selling to banks who lease them to the consumer, right? That's yes. big part of how the industry works. One of the biggest holders of those loans is a Spanish bank. And Chrysler Corporate, Fiat Chrysler as it's called now, FCA, they, I think it's 40% of all their automobile lease loans are held by one bank in Spain. So international finance. Pretty right, you know, why not, baby? It's we're making the most freaking money. I, I'm gonna rely on my, my history friend here. Yeah. Okay. So Hello. that's it. That's my parting shot. And uh it, it's not your parting shot because you okay. got questions left. So okay. Detroit needed a bailout. I want to say Gerald Ford, correct me if I'm wrong, because it might have been Jimmy Carter, said, Yeah, we're not bailing out the city because they made stupid decisions. Oh, no, way after that, way after that. Was it after that? Detroit went bankrupt in 2008. Yeah, but I'm talking like, this was late 70s, I want to say. Yeah, the the city's finances then were a dream compared to what they ended up being. Correct. Yeah, yeah. They had financial problems then because the city's population at that point, well, the the property values plummeted, and so they went the tax revenue. Yeah. Yeah. So... Ford had said, yeah, we're not bailing anybody out, which, you know, would have been smart to do in 2008, but why would we do that? We don't want to be smart. Um, and then my last question, <clears throat> because I'm, I'm so excited that we're going to do a baseball one coming up soon. Yeah. David, yes. top three position players that you were a fan of in the 80s for the Tigers, and then the two pitchers you were a fan of. Oh, well, the pitchers are going to be a lot easier. That's probably going to be um, Jack Morris. 80s. Huh? 80s? 80s. Yeah. Definitely Jack Morris. Yep. And then probably Dan Petrie. Okay. Okay. Um, position players. Oh, Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, and then I would say uh, Daryl Evans. Okay. So I, I have my or, own. Or uh, – Boy, that's a toss. Nah, I, you know what? Let me amend that. Lance Parrish. He played with the team longer. Lance Parrish, baby. I, I loved Daryl. Wheel. The big but, wheel. <clears throat> let's get, get here. So, my pitchers, Willie Hernandez. Loved Willie Hernandez. Hard to argue with that. Um, and the other one is not Jack Morris. 
Should be. It's not. It's Frank Tanana. Oh, yeah. yeah I love Frank Tanana. Yeah, by the time they got him, he had turned into this big junk baller. He used to be part of the Texas Heat with Nolan yeah. Ryan. And then he kind of screwed his elbow up and added like five, six years out of his career by throwing a bunch of junk balls. My, my favorite Tiger game was the 87 clinching game. Larry Herndon had a home run. Oh, yeah, yes. And yeah. Frank Tanana pitched yeah. nine innings. Yeah. Shut out ball. Shut out ball. By then he was – you know, he was getting towards towards the end of his career, but still he was. My, yeah. my three favorite position players. This is tough, mind you, because I I did love the Tigers in the eighties. Yeah, it's it's tough. Gibby. Oh yeah, of love course. Gibby. MSU too, right? Yeah. Number two, Sweet Lou Whitaker. Oh, of course. Love Sweet Lou. Yep. And the other one, as Ernie Harwell would always say. Chester Lemon. Chet Lemon. Yeah. I loved me some Chet Lemon. Yeah. And, and honorable mention to Matt Noakes because I loved him in 1987. Right. Yep. He was the last, uh, actually, kind of the last. Well, I would say Brad Austin's was too. Yeah. Noakes and Brad Austin's, the last decent catches they had that either came up through the system or were with the team for a long time. Yeah. That's why they haven't been good um, recently. Yeah. You know, I you name me one team that's ever won World Series without having a catch of the hit at least 270. Name me one. It, I don't think you can. You can't. And the Tigers, why did they lose uh 92 games in 2005 and go to the World Series in 2006? There were three things that were different about their team. Just three. But it was Rodriguez. Jim Wayne, <laughs> Rodriguez, and uh Kenny Rogers. Yep. That's Uh-oh. it. Which was my boy, Kenny Rogers. Other than that, you know how much money Kenny Rogers won me. <laughs> so, so I didn't even know about Kenny Rogers, right? Like the game I, scrolled, I scrolled to the bottom of the Texas page. Ranger. I yeah. scrolled to the bottom of the page and I'm like screwing around. I was like, this dude's name's Kenny Rogers. It's hilarious. I pick him for drafting. Win so much money this year. Yeah. I get so much crap from everybody because they're like, wow, dude, your last pick is literally a guy who's nobody. And then you know, Mr. Pine Tower himself. Like, I'll take the win, but but, see, um, they were, but they were almost the exact same team that year, except those three differences. They had a really good manager. They had Kenny Rogers, yeah. and they had Pudge Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. I went and watched them the year before, and I mean, you could see that they had it on. They had the talent there. They just they were missing something, and were, those were it. That's you know, what so, when you look at '84. '84 is a great example. So. You know, being a long-suffering Cubs fan, <laughs> everybody's like, oh, my God, if the ball hadn't gone through Durham's legs in 84, no. they'd have been in the World Series and they no. wouldn't have won it all. Okay, I'm a baseball fan. David, is there any way they beat the Tigers? No, that's no. why I'm saying no. It, that's why I kept saying no. <laughs> There's no way the Cubs yeah, I like that. beat the Tigers in 84. No way. It's going to happen. Because because look what the Tigers did to the Padres in the World Series. Yeah, they absolutely destroyed them. Right. I mean, the Padres got one decent game in, and that was it. Yeah. I mean, they were they won 104 games. They were in first place from wire to wire. You weren't going to stop. 35 and five. Yeah, 35 and five to start. The best the team in baseball from opening day until they won the World Series. They were so they were like Liverpool was last year in the Premier League. You just couldn't touch them. Couldn't, just nobody was there. Nobody was. That was it. So it's a soccer references are fantastic. So yeah. David, hey, I uh, it was been a pleasure to meet you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. I know we didn't hit 
on the debts as much as we would have liked. I know we had a great episode. Um, you know, we're going to have you back and talk strictly like the next one. We're just going to talk strictly like what to do, how to do it and things like that. School debt sure. and how, to, how to get out of it. I'd be, I'd be glad to, I'd be glad to be back. I didn't scare myself away or you guys scared me away. So. No, I said, that's great. So, uh, you know, we really appreciate it. Um, big shout out again to, uh, Eagle brewing, uh, Frankenmuth Brewing Christmas Town Ale. Uh, David got up and uh, got me a left hand brewing milk stout nitro. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll shout out to Mackenzie's and I'll shout uh, out to him too. Rourke. Uh, when I got his, I got a parent and then I have uh, the right brain. Stout. So, guys, take care. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Dave, don't leave us. We're going to okay. talk like we always do. And Thank everybody for joining us. This was a long one, but yeah. a really good one. Very fun one.